Well, good morning. Man, isn't it good to be in God's house this morning? It is good, and as I drove through yesterday coming up to Silver City to spend the night before coming out here, I tell you what, Gila looks pretty good right now. Looks pretty good, green and nice, and God has really blessed you guys with the moisture and the green all across this great land, and he's blessed you because y'all are looking pretty good too. So it is a privilege to be with you here this morning. I know you've got to meet some of my counterparts on the BCNM staff. I know they've been giving me some flack, and, and uh, I won't return the favor this morning, but uh, I, I'm thankful that they get to meet you guys, to be able to worship with you guys, to be able to lead you in a time of worship, and, and of course, to focus on God's Word and what He has to say to you at this time. And I know that uh, you've had some capable speakers. They have, they have expounded upon God's Word well. And I just pray that what they've been feeding you has been something that not only tasted good, but that was also beneficial for you to continue to be about God's work here in this community. I've already shared with a few people that Elaine wasn't able to come with me this time. She's the missions leader at our church, and we've been having kind of a back-to-school bash as they've started this morning, and she's been all uh, doing all of those kind of organization and setting up, and so she'll be with me here next time as I come back at the end of September, but you guys pray for them as they are I uh, pray that they are just doing great things there at First Baptist Moriarty this morning, and I know that she's doing a great job as the Lord leads her. I'm going to ask if you would turn with me in your copy of God's Word this morning to James. James chapter 1 is where we'll be looking here in just a few moments. But I want us to think about that song that we just sang, He is with you, He is for you. And when we think about there at the very end, talking about amen, that word amen means truly. It means true that, if you will. You know, when we think about God is for us, when we think about that God is with us, we need to recognize that when we say amen, it's not just some perfunctory thing that we say. It is saying that's true. God is with us, and he's for us. And he'll never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we may be going through, God will be present with you in your time of need. So as we take a look at James chapter 1 this morning, I want us to consider the question that I have to often ask myself. And that is, how do you respond to trials in your life? How do you respond to those hardships? How do you respond to those struggles when those things come into life for you? Many of you already know after my time of departure here from Gila Valley Baptist Church and in the six years that we've been with the BCNM staff now that my mother, Lana Henderson, she had breast cancer and she fought that battle throughout the time of having breast cancer. Then you know that during that time she was in remission and then we found out that she has liver cancer. And so two years ago, she walked through the brutal chemotherapy treatments all the way through that year. And in October, she was through with those chemo treatments, and she was excited about being able to feel normal for a little while. And it lasted from October, November, December. Got to see her there at Christmas time on this past Christmas and rejoice and celebrate with her during that time as we consider the Lord's birth. And then in January, when she went back for another scan, of course, they found cancer 
growing back again in her liver. And so, not prepared for that, that, not ready for that, she started treatments once again. Not the exact same treatments. They were a little less aggressive than those. And so, since January, she's been walking through these treatments once again. And so, last month, we got to experience, uh, no, actually, in this month, we're almost into September, but we got to experience a family vacation with my mom and dad and my, and my, my son and daughter and, and their kids and, and also my sister and my two nephews and just their families. Had a great time up in South Fork, Colorado, and I'm telling you what, my mom was riding that four-wheeler like a beast. I mean, she was on it, man. I mean, talking about going up the hills and the rocks. And I didn't think that she'd have that much strength, you know. But, man, she was riding that thing like a beast. And I was going to bring our picture and put it up here this morning so that you could see my, my daughter made us all shirts that look alike, you know. I mean, we were, we were looking pretty spiffy. And it was a great time. And my mom rejoiced and talked about what a great blessing it was that God put us all together to be able to share and then last week, she went in for a PET scan. And during that time last week, she got a results in this last week towards the latter part of the week, and they weren't good. All of the treatments that she's having, cancer's breaking through. And although there was one spot that had shrank a little bit, there were a number of other spots that had popped up, and then some of them had grown. And my mom understands that she's going to have to have some more aggressive treatment. And she understands that there is no cure for liver cancer. She understands that at this point, her life is totally in God's hands, just like your life is. You see, whether we have cancer or whether we don't, our life is in God's hands. Whether we have trials or not is not a question. We will have trials. The question is, how are we going to respond when we encounter those various trials in our life? Let me give you three thoughts of what my mom said when she began having the ordeal with liver cancer. Number one, I know God loves me. That's the first and foremost. That's bedrock foundation for my mom. I know that God loves me. Number two, I know God's in control. No matter what happens, whether he heals me on this earth or whether he heals me in heaven, I know that God is in control. He has a plan and purpose for my life. And then number three, which may be the most difficult, no matter what, I want to bring glory to Christ. I want to really live out my purpose that God has in store for me. And my friends, she's doing it well. And I pray for her daily that she will be able to live out her life pointing others to Jesus. Because going through chemo is not easy. But knowing that God loves you and is in control, that's what makes it all better. So I want us to take a look this morning and ask ourselves that question. How do you respond when you encounter those various trials or those sufferings? I've entitled my message this morning, Don't Waste the Trials. God doesn't want us to waste the trials that we experience in life because they can bring about something in us that brings glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we think about that, let's take a look at James because we're going to find that the letter of James reminds us that as Christians, we will experience those trials in our life. And when we do, we don't have to be victims of those consequences and those circumstances. We can live with victory in our life, uncompromising to the Word of God and to our faith in Jesus Christ. 
So as we take a look here this morning in the letter of James, we find James, one of four men that were listed as that name James in the New Testament, which was listed 42 times. There was, number one, James, the brother of John. We know this great disciple, you know, that one that was in the inner three. But we also know that he was killed by Herod there in Acts chapter 12. And so we're not talking about that, James, because that happened about 44 A.D. And then we also know that there were two other Jameses that were really kind of an insignificant. There was one James, of course, that was the son of Alphaeus, and that was spoken of in Mark chapter 3, verse 18. And then we also understand there was the father James of Judas. And the reason he's listed is because he's not the father of Judas Iscariot, which we know is the betrayer. You see, he needs no introduction. And I'm so glad that I'm not the guy that everybody knows in the Scripture for that. You know? I mean, hey, I, I, I'm not liking the fact that maybe I would be known as Peter, you know, who denied Christ. But at least he was given a second chance. And look at there in Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost. Man, alive, he had a great sermon and 3,000 people were led to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe if I'm going to preach that sermon, 3,000 come today, we're going to have to go beat the hedges and highways a little bit. I don't see 3,000 people here. And then we have James, a half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, a leader of the church, as we see in Acts chapter 15. But James was that man, that brother of Jesus who was skeptical of Jesus. We find early on in the New Testament that he didn't really like what Jesus was preaching and teaching. He, he was kind of aloof, if you will, for all you young people. That means distant, you know, kind of staying away. And yet, when he saw the resurrected Christ, you don't think that doesn't make a difference when you see a man dead in the grave and that has come to life victorious over death in the grave? It radically changed his life. And all of a sudden now, a man who was skeptical of his brother now is all in. And he writes this letter to those Jewish believers that are spread abroad because of the persecution. And he's writing to them so that they may know, hey, you got to be all in. There, there's none of this, you know, riding the fence. You're either all in or you're all out. So my question is to you this morning, are you in? Are you in? Because you see, we don't get to choose when... We have difficult circumstances in our lives. And when we face those obstacles and those trials, that's not the time to question whether we're in or out. The time to question whether we're in or out is right now. So that when you do experience those trials in your life, you'll be ready and prepared to lean on God with confidence, knowing that He's present with you and that He's for you and that He cares for you. Let's take a look as we see, as James was writing to believers, and there is no structure and organization when we look at the letter of James, really. There's no even real theme to James, except for he wants everybody to be wholehearted committed to Christ. That's the one thing that we could take away. So he's going to be bouncing back and forth throughout the chapters of James. But what we're going to focus on this morning is as he speaks with those that are going through some really difficult times, who have, been, who have been dispersed across that northern area up from Jerusalem and Antioch into Syria and Palestine. And all of that were here in that first part when he's speaking about those Jewish believers. They have been spread apart 
They are in this place because of persecution that we know that took place in the time of Stephen over in Acts chapter 7. And so now we find these people that have been displaced. They don't have jobs. They don't have their same place that they would go and worship together, to be able to fellowship together, to have that sense of what? That sense of belonging and place. They are nomads. And they're experiencing hardships. And so he wants them to know how they respond to hardships matters. So let's take a look at James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Let me read this. I'll be reading out of the New American Standard. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, I want you to put yourself in the position, if you were one of those first century Christians around 49 AD, when James, the brother of Jesus, had written this, and imagine getting this and reading that or hearing it for the first time. Here you are, you're going through persecution, you're going through poverty, and you're hearing, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Oh, isn't that a gut punch? Isn't that one of those things you say, no way. And yet he continues. He continues by saying these words, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away." For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off. The beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that it is timeless and that it is relevant and it speaks truth to us even today. Lord God, I know these people. Some of those I don't know well, but you know them intimately and you were for them and you were with them. And Lord God, I don't know the trials and the struggles that they may be facing right now, but you do. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help them to understand this morning that you desire to mold and shape them into the image of Christ through the trials that we face so that we may come out on the other side of those trials being approved by you, receiving that crown, and also, Lord God, maybe pointing others to Christ and the hope that we find in him in the midst of those difficult circumstances. We thank you and praise you in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As we take a look at this this morning, I, I want us to remember, we, we kind of look at trials oftentimes in our life to avoid. 
I'm not saying and suggesting this morning that we look for opportunity to experience trials. I'm not saying that, all right, we're going to live this life and we're going to look for hardships and and we're going to put ourselves into a poverty-stricken situation so that we can, you know, give honor and glory to Christ. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But I'm saying trials will come. And they are there to mature us spiritually. They may be hard emotionally. They may be hard physically. They may be hard on our mental capabilities. But my friends, they will bring about a result in us that brings wholeness and completeness. And so let's take a look in this passage and see what we can learn from James. James, writing all the way back in the first century, understood hardship. And those individuals understood hardships. And so what we can learn is first and foremost, we can learn how that we are going to respond in those difficult trials in our life. If we'll take a look back up in verse 2, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. I want to give you two thoughts real quick. Number one, it's not a matter of if trials come. It is a matter of when trials come. It's been said before, you're either coming out of a trial, or you're in a trial, or you're coming going out at that point to a trial. You're going to have some difficulty in your life. You're either entering in, you're in it, or you're coming out of it. And so I don't know where you're at today and the struggles that maybe you're facing. But it's not a matter of if you will experience trials and hardships and struggles in your life. It's a matter of when it takes place. But James helps us to understand the types of trials come about and that we may know that we can experience joy. Now, I want us to clarify that. Because what we think about oftentimes is joy in the sense of happiness. We think about joy oftentimes in a worldly sense of this makes me feel good. I'm not saying that trials make us feel good. I'm not saying that we will look forward to them with a worldly type of happiness. You see, if we look over in in Matthew chapter 5, we won't turn there for the sake of time today, but in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking about the Beatitudes. You'll remember these Beatitudes is blessed are those who. If you look at that word blessed, there are two different Greek words that are spoken of. Blessed in one Greek word is eudaimonia. That particular word is that in which those people that lived spoken of as the Epicureans were spoken of as those people that love to experience happiness. In other words, worldly happiness. They're going to go eat where they want to eat. They're going to go buy things they want to buy. Why? Because the Epicureans made this statement that we are going to, you know, we're going to live and, and enjoy everything that we possibly can. Eat, drink, and be merry for, you know the rest of it, for tomorrow we die. Okay? It's all about me, and it's all about me focused. And then there's the word called makarios. Makarios is blessedness or happiness, same word in the English language, but it is a happiness that is not based upon feelings. It is based upon a right relationship with God through Christ. Makarios is when we can experience happiness in the midst of difficult circumstances. That's what we're looking at joy this morning. 
Joy is not the only response we're going to have when we encounter those various trials. You're going to experience maybe sadness. You're going to experience maybe stress and disappointment or discouragement, anger, bitterness, whatever it may be. There may be other experiences of emotions. But what James says is not that joy is going to automatically come out. He's saying Look at it for as an opportunity for joy. Look, consider it all joy. Some of your translations will say pure joy, and some of your translations will say consider it an opportunity for joy. In other words, he's saying when we face trials, we ought not to automatically complain and gripe and whine, but we ought to look at it as an opportunity to experience God's joy. So what we find out secondly here is that we can learn not only the reality that trials will come, but we can also understand that there will be different types of trials. I like the way James puts this because if he would have narrowed it down to just three different trials, we would all be looking at just those three trials in our life. Say, okay, well, I've avoided that trial. I don't have to count that joy. Okay, I've avoided that trial. I don't have to count that joy. But the wording that he uses for this during this passage of Scripture, he's saying the literal translation is an outward trial or a process of testing. Now, what we can understand from that is that is a general term that is kind of in an overarching umbrella, if you will. And that can encompass sickness, like I shared about my mom, It can encompass poverty, which these very people were experiencing poverty. They had jobs before, and now they've been displaced. They don't have jobs any longer. They've been experiencing persecution at the hands of those that do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords as they do. They are experiencing the hardships of injustices of those that are rich taking advantage of them and placing them into bondage, if you will, to serve them unconditionally. We've got a lot of layers of trials that they're facing. And so James doesn't give us just one. He said, look, these trials that you're experiencing, no matter what they are, you can have that opportunity to experience joy and to uh, be about joy. So I want us to think about this morning that the result of the trials he shares with us there in verse 3 and following. The reality of the trials is that we're going to experiencing, not a matter of if, but when. But look at what he says in verse 3. The result of the trials when we face them with joy are these things. Number one, knowing that the testing of your faith. I want to stop there and just say, some of you in here exercise. I know on the road right now, it's been really difficult to get any exercise in. It's hard. But you know what we do when we exercise. We strengthen our bodies. It puts us into this stress level of what we always said, no pain, no gain, you know. If we don't exercise, then our muscles do not get stronger. God is saying through his word, through the apostle James, that this faith is not an indicator of whether you are in the faith. He's speaking to believers already. He's speaking to men and women and boys and girls like you that have come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their life. And they know him personally and intimately as Lord. 
And so he's saying, look, because you are a child of God, this testing of your faith is going to bring about the strengthening of your faith. Use it or lose it, you know, mentality. When we encounter those various trials, this tests us. This strengthens us. Secondly, it also produces something in us called endurance or perseverance. Look with me, if you will, in verse 3. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. When my mom is going through cancer, I can assure you that she is learning how to persevere. Because I can promise you there have been times when she's been sick for 10 days straight. When she just wants to say, Lord, take me home. I'm tired. I'm really tired. I can't even walk out to the mailbox. I'm tired. Just, I'm done. But you see, in the middle of her hardships, God has helped her to persevere. She's began to endure. When I talked to her the other day and I was asking her, had she heard the results yet? She said, nah. She said, I used to want to know the results immediately. And I was calling them every day, wanting to know. And she said, now I just understand God has this. I understand that God's in control. And when they come up with the plan, I'm going to be there to hear it. And I'm going to be able to go through that. That produces endurance. But endurance is not the goal. Endurance is not the final moment. It's not the end result. You know what the end result is? I'm glad you asked because he tells us here. He says, and let endurance have its perfect result. The word perfect is telios in the Greek. Now, the only reason I share that is not to just show I know Greek because I don't know all the Greek. But what I'm saying is the word matters in this case. When we think about perfect, we think about all you guys that are older know this. Bo Derek, you know the 10, you know. I know, goofy illustration, but it fits. That's perfect, right? No. Perfect in the Greek wording here is meaning completeness or wholeness. If I were to draw up here on a board and I were to draw a bunch of stick figures, but no faces, no characteristics, those would be what you would say are incomplete. You could see that they were stick figures. You could see that they're supposed to represent people, but they're incomplete. And my friends, what trials do in our life is they bring about the result of completeness or wholeness. And you know what I mean by that? I mean that God begins to point out the characteristics of Christ in our life. He begins to point out and fill in those areas of our life that are generosity. Those areas in our life of patience. Those fruits of the Spirit that we see over in Galatians chapter 5 where it talks about love. All of a sudden, God begins to paint in those characteristics and people begin to see us not just as nameless faces, but they see the character of of Christ in and through us. That's who we begin to look like, is Christ in the midst of the trials. You see, anybody can say when we're going through good times, well, sure you can go in through good times because you're rich. Or sure you can go through good times because you're healthy. Or sure you can go through good times because all of you and your family are together. But you see, when we go through those trials in our life, that's when people go, man, how do you do that? 
You've been sick for two years now. How do you continue to glorify Christ? You have been without a job now and having to work three jobs to make up the income you used to make up with one. How do you do that? That, my friends, is when people begin to go, I want to know more about the Jesus that you serve. He wants us to come to completeness. So what have you learned in your time of trials? You remember Joseph in Genesis? Remember Joseph, you know, who every time that his brothers threw him in the pit and then his brothers sold him into slavery and then he was over here as one of Potiphar's main guys and then even Potiphar's wife turned him in and he had to flee and then he got thrown in jail. Over and over again, Joseph was just bearing the weight of the world on him. But you know what Genesis tells us? Every occasion and the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. And the Lord was with him. No matter what he experienced, the Lord was with him. And that's why Joseph in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, pointing to his brothers, said, What you meant for evil, God meant for good, so that he would bring about the salvation of many souls. Now, what that's speaking of there is not salvation spiritually, but the ability to save them from the famine that was taking place. Joseph understood that even in the midst of trials, God was with him and for him. So what do we know? Is that we can learn something in our trials. We can also learn that what is required of us is two quick things, and that is wisdom and faith wisdom is something that we need so that we can endure and begin to look like christ it says here in verse five it says but if any of you lacks wisdom in other words he says that we can be complete we can be whole but if you do lack wisdom ask of god because he's a generous god he wants to give you wisdom remember solomon king he could ask for anything and he asked for wisdom I would think after looking back throughout history and seeing kind of where he's asked, I, I would think he may, might have needed to ask not to be so attracted to women because he had a problem with that. But, but wisdom should have taken care of that. But ultimately, he asked for wisdom, and God gave him that. Why? Because he desired to know godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom. I want us to take a look quickly, and I know I'm getting... To the point I need to be done. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. James chapter 3. I want to quickly show you. In James chapter 3. James says it this way. In verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show his good behavior. His deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy. And selfish ambition in your heart. Do not be arrogant. And so lie against the truth. This wisdom, in other words, wisdom that, that carries out those type of characteristics, this wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, 
unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You see the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom? Godly wisdom bears the characteristics of Christ. It bears the fruit of a life that has been embedded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, that fruit of the Spirit. And so what we understand is that we need wisdom. There's an old story that was told about a farmer who had an old dog. And this old dog accidentally fell into a shallow well. And the farmer, man, he went out there and he loved old Duke. But he looked down and he thought, I can't get old Duke out of there. So he just decided, he probably ain't going to last long anyway. I'll just cover him up. So he got his shovel, and the well really wasn't much count either. And so he just began to shovel that dirt on top of that dog. And I mean, I'm telling you, old Duke, being old, he was scared to death when it first started happening. And I mean, he was just anxious. And every pile of shovel full of dirt fell on top of his head. He just was frantic until he recognized that dirt began to fill up around his legs and up close to his belly. And so every time the farmer would dump a, a pile of dirt on top of him, he'd just shake it off and he'd step up. And he'd shake off the next pile of dirt and he'd step up. Lo and behold, before long, the farmer had thrown so much dirt in there and the dog had shaken it off and stepped up that he was to the point to where he could step out on the ground. Good story, huh? The moral of this story is there's going to be a lot of trials in this world. And they're going to seek to bury you. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5, 8. He wants to destroy you. If you're a child of God, he can't take away your, your provision of salvation made through Christ. But he wants to destroy you. And with every pile of suffering and trials and stress that you face godly wisdom tells us to endure and shake it off and step up because the very things that are meant to destroy you god will use to bring about his perfect result in you in the time that we have left i want us to consider these final thoughts james kind of goes all over the place when he, when he speaks about in verses 6 and then all the way through verse 11. Let me just quickly give you a synopsis. He's saying that we need faith in our life. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. So we need faith. We don't just need wisdom. We also need faith that is exercised and strengthened and matured in our life. But he says, look. The way that we gain faith is when we have that, that level of confidence of asking for that wisdom in faith. And then he begins to say, but for the man who asks in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. So all he's saying over here is, hey, if you're going to ask from God, but you're not asking in faith, you ain't getting it. Okay? It's kind of like when you're a kid going to the cookie jar. Your mama says, you ain't getting it. And then he comes down to this final part. When he begins to point out in verse 9 through 11 the difference between a poor man and a rich man. 
You know what? And a lot of us really feel bad for the poor man. But you know what it says here in verse 9? But the brother of humble circumstances, speaking about the poor man, is to glory in his high position. What is his high position? He hadn't got any wealth. He hadn't got any riches. But his high position is having a right relationship with Jesus Christ and being adopted into his family and receive the blessings and promises of God. And then he begins over in verse 10 and 11 to talk about the rich man. And he too ought to glory in the blessings of being humbled by the trials. You see, a lot of rich people want to glory in their riches and wealth. James says, should it never be? You ought to rejoice in the blessings of your trials because that's what brings you to a state of humility to where you recognize the hand of God at work in your life. And so he concludes and summarizes. That's why we go all the way to verse 12. He concludes by summarizing this thought in verse 12 if you would allow me to, to look at this final verse. Blessed, once again, Speaking about that blessedness that comes from God, that joy, that happiness that is only from God, is a man who perseveres, or a woman, who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, if we are not ready to see the trials as an opportunity for the Lord to work in and through us to bring about wholeness and what the word perfect or perfection in our lives, then we're going to miss the reason for the trial. The reason for the trial is to bring us closer into our walk with the Lord so that ultimately when people see us, they'll see the character of Christ in and through us. I want to close by saying this. The Apostle Paul, one of my favorites, many of you that come here the whole time when I was preaching, you know the Apostle Paul is one of my favorites. You see, the Apostle Paul, I see throughout his letters that he is experiencing hardship. If you want to really go and see a man who is experiencing hardship, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and see his catalog of sufferings. I'm telling you what, he had been through it. But let me just point out one for you. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 21, he's in prison. And there are people that are going and sharing the gospel, and they're doing it for the wrong motive. And he said, that's okay. That's all right, I'm in prison, as long as the gospel of Jesus is being preached. And then he comes down to that point in verse 21, and he says this, which you probably recognize. For to me, to live is Christ." And to die is gain. No suffering, no trial in your life when you have that mentality is going to destroy you. When you have the very view that for me, if I get to live on this earth is Christ, but if I get to go to Him in heaven is, is gain, then you'll be able to experience joy in your trials don't waste the trials don't waste the trials whether you have cancer whether you've got a job that is going wayward whether you've got a relationship that is broken whether you've got a church family that is struggling don't waste the trials 
Allow God to move and work in you to where when you walk out these doors, you look more like Christ today than you did before. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? God, I can probably say with all of these that are here today, I wouldn't exactly say that we invite trials into our lives. Trials are something that we look at in our life as the enemy. Lord God, just as you discipline those whom you love so that we begin to shape up and look more like you, trials are also there to be much like discipline is, to shape us and mold us so that we might experience joy, so that we might endure, so that we would come to a place of experiencing wholeness and ultimately, Lord God, so that in obedience to you, we might receive the crown of life that you have prepared for all those who call you Savior and Lord. So God, for this church family today, I pray that you would just remind them of this. Help them to grow in their trials Sometimes you may remove that trial altogether and praise you if you do. But Lord God, if you don't remove the trial, remind us of your presence with us. Remind us of your work in and through us so that we might be a light to those around us in the midst of a darkness of trials. In Jesus' name we pray. As we come to a time of response here today, I know that this is not necessarily an evangelistic message. I know that this is not a message that spells out the gospel ABC. But my friends, I believe that God can use even in the midst of a message that speaks about trials to bring about his purpose in your life. The altar is open today. I don't know what you're facing. But maybe you've been mad at God. Maybe you've been mad at your wife or your husband. Maybe you've been mad at your children. Maybe you've been mad at your boss. Maybe you're mad at the world because you're tired of the trials that you've been experiencing. My friends, the altar is open for you today so that you can come and you can confess that before the Lord and you can receive that forgiveness from Him. And recognize it's not anybody's fault that you're going through those trials. God allowed those. He's still on his throne. He's still in control. He may not have caused those to punish you. He caused those so that you might grow in the likeness of him. So when we come to a time of response right now, if you would stand with me, whatever the Holy Spirit lays on you this morning, would you respond to? I'll be here to pray with you and for you if you want to pray this morning as well.